at some point in life, we all encounter cancer, whether it's directly or indirectly from those around us. And that's why this week I was super fortunate to spend time deep diving and talking with physiotherapist and exercise physiologist Jeremy Ingram. Now, Jeremy is deeply passionate about improving the health-related quality of life for those who are dealing with chronic pain and disease, and in particular, cancer treatment. And he's created Western Integrated Health to meet this aim. We start off with Jeremy telling me about how he began his career, like many other physios, wanting to focus on professional football and he's worked with Claremont and West Coast Eagles. It was during this time that he had another job and out of left field in this role, in this clinic, he was focusing on pain management. This started the trajectory to where he is today. Jeremy is awesome at superbly presenting a wealth of knowledge and information and evidence in a super approachable manner. And he really goes deep on the role of exercise to counter the physical side effects of cancer treatment and how it plays a key role in improving survivorship from these episodes. He even talks about how the role of exercise can reduce the presence and and release stuff in our body to kill off cancer cells, even in normal healthy people. But despite all this science, research and stats, there's a real key point about what Jeremy's talking about which is that despite the situation, wherever you are in life, you personally can do stuff to take control and improve your own health and in turn, turn the snowball effect of a significant life event, whether it's a career diagnosis or treatment, upwards instead of downwards. There's so much to learn about this. And like I said, whether you're directly or indirectly or you haven't even had a brush with cancer, I would recommend listening to this because there's so much in there. So sit back and enjoy Jeremy. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards, exploring the role of physiotherapy and special rehabilitation in relation to chronic disease and cancer treatment is where we're going today with my guest, Jeremy Ingram. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bryn. So one of the questions I like to ask my guests right out the traps, because it's called WA Real, is their relationship to WA. So you were born and raised here? Born and bred in the hills. In In the hills. (laughs) In the hills and then the hills. Yeah. Yeah, so I've got a, I mean, I'm pretty passionate about WA. I've always loved WA. Why is that? I just love the lifestyle. I'm someone I get up super early in the morning to exercise. I get up at 3.40 every day and um, and exercise at 3.40 every day to get my exercise out of the way. People think I'm nuts for 20 past four. No, I, um, well, I normally start my first patient at six o'clock, so yeah. I like to get up in the morning, have a coffee, have a quick, quick meditation, go into, um, do a workout or go for a run and then start the day, make yeah. a, make a juice and then start the day. What time did you go to bed? Uh, about eight o'clock. Right. <laughs> it's become a bit of a concern because my eight year old is oldest, my three kids, they're up longer than you. He's now starting to start up a little bit later than me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Does not bad for eight o'clock. So, um, but yeah, yeah, so look, I mean, I love WA because I like the lifestyle and I've got friends who say it's so sleepy and I don't like the nightlife, but I'm all about lifestyle. And Morning and day, day, time, day right? And nature and yeah. being in, you can't beat WA. You can't. 
What was it like growing up here for you? Yeah, I mean, my um, growing up was pretty interesting. I grew up in the hills and we grew up in 15 acres, so um, we didn't have TV. My, um, a combination, of, I think my mum just didn't really care too much for, for TV. And mm. we were, lived in a valley, we couldn't get reception. So <laughs> I, um, yeah, so I just roamed the hills, really. Um, read lots of books and did lots of exercise and yeah. So, yeah, look, I, um, but then I left Kelmscott when I was 17 and lived on the coast ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been away and travelled and come back? Or? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've been, you know, through India and Nepal and Bhutan and Europe and lots of trips to Asia. And mm. as much as I love travelling, I always love to come home. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because I meet a lot through this, I'm asking this question, I meet a lot of people and a lot of them, especially born, born in WA, they like to, you know, they often go away for five or 10 years and then it's the... I'm having kids now brings them back yeah but you just I look at it straight out of school lived in the Kimberleys for a few years yeah lived in a tent for I think three years in between Derby and Fitzroy yeah um, on a diamond exploration team and I mean that's fantastic country out there that was that was amazing and I um, so I took a few years to decide what I was going to do and decided manual work wasn't for me and came back and did year 12 at that point yeah right yeah and um i think tripled my tripled my original score and then went to uni with the sole plan of becoming a pe teacher yeah so i went and did sports science or human movement uwa and <clears throat> um and just developed an interest in exercise physiology and did honors yeah. in exercise physiology and and then swapped over to physio and Left yeah. uni some eight years later. Yeah, you've um, you've done some interesting work with like Claremont Footy Club and the Eagles and various places before you get to Western Integrated Health. Yeah, there's a big theme in your background of <clears throat> obviously physicality, body, health. Where does that come from in the Jeremy story? Yeah, two two parts to it really, and I think two parts to my career. Um, because I went to when I when I got interested in exercise physiology, it was all about becoming the strength and conditioning coach of a AFL side. Right, um, that was the thing. That was that was my goal, and um, I and then when I swapped over to physio and decided to do physio, it was to become a sports physio, and um, still with the footy, still with the footy mind. stuff, and is that and because that was the highest thing you could do with it at the time oh and I mean footy you know footy was a passion and sports was a passion and probably as a you know young guy that seemed pretty glamorous and Mm. I um and so and I did love you know I did the strength and conditioning at Claim Up Footy Club and um for years for you know for a decade and I left uni um finished my masters in physio and and started working at West Coast and um, and and a chronic pain clinic in Shander Park concurrently, so I was part time at West Coast and full time at this chronic pain clinic, and just didn't enjoy the elite sports club atmosphere that much at all. Mind you, I probably joined I joined the club six weeks after they won the premiership, already, um, 
imagining, you know, that last weekend in September, the following year, going to the MCG and helping out the grand final. And, and as I think everyone's well aware, the, from 2007 onwards, the, the culture at West Coast Eagles probably wasn't fantastic. And yeah. so um, I joined them on top of the ladder and left them, I think, on their 14th on the ladder, some three years <laughs> later. Right. But in that time, I got exposed to, um, you know, I was working with a very good team at, um, at a chronic pain practice in, mm. in Shendon Park and really started getting passionate about chronic pain. And I was with some really high-level researchers, you know, well, yeah. researchers in that, in that, that space. Is that sort of thing that sort of came out of left field? You didn't, completely, yeah. You didn't realise that you were going to find it that interesting? Yeah, yeah, completely. And... And it was a steep learning curve. So, I mean, I'd, you know, I guess when I came, you know, one, going back to, um, I guess we we're talking about being in the Kimberleys, I came back from working up north really unhealthy. I'd put on, I think, 20, 22, 23 kilos with, you know, that heavy drinking culture you get. Yeah. Nine blokes living in a tent with oh, no yeah. power in the middle you of the Kimberleys. And the company paid for our alcohol. So we just, worked really hard and drank really hard and we'd work nine or ten weeks in the Kimberleys and one week back in Perth and so I came back really unhealthy and so I um I'd had a history in with competitive tie boxing or Muay Thai and so I got back into that again because I just needed to lose weight and get healthy um and so that reignited my passion for exercise and I did a personal training course then and then put myself through night school, did year 12 whilst yeah. working as a personal trainer. So it's kind of, you know, um, exercise was, you know, super important to me at that point and has been ever since. And I, um, yeah, and then so, but then it was about being fit and about being healthy and strong and toned. I was a young sort of guy and I yeah. did a bit of competitive bodybuilding and oh, yeah. all, all those kind of things. And then, uh, and then from I'd say two thousand and eight onwards, I just became a lot more focused on health and how do I, you know, as a physio, then starting role as a physio rather than a personal trainer or an exercise physiologist. I was like, how do I maintain health for people with um, with these complex chronic pain conditions or chronic health conditions? This is from your Shenton Park. Yeah, yeah. So I guess because they brought me on board there really to um, to to start an exercise program at that clinic because they had a number of physios treating in rooms and um, and they had a space for a gym but they didn't really have a gym program up yeah. and running so with the dual qualification of ex phys exercise physiology and yeah physio they wanted someone to come on board and and start because physio by then was moving to very much an exercise-based approach right. to physio rather than ultrasound and TENS machines and yes. dry needling and, and you know, those kind of um, symptomatic treatment. Yes. So we were starting to move towards, I guess, using exercise as a mean of managing patients' symptoms. But I, um, so I developed a, a passion, I guess, in <clears throat> not just using it as a means to um, improve symptoms, but to improve health like in the yeah in you know for people who've often lost their health because because they because of pain or or disease and yeah they don't know what to do they're scared that what they do is going to make them worse or yeah um, they're not yeah so 
Was that kind of new stuff at that time? Um, I mean, I think it's been new in the physio space to to that sort of shift to being that exercise based often exercises were something you gave someone at the end of a treatment session yeah. after you've massaged them and mobilised joints and done whatever you give people draw a few stick figures of a few stretches to do to try and maintain the benefits of what you've done with them until you see them again so I think yeah, yeah I, th- I think it is something that's that's new and I still think it's probably not a huge yeah. focus on physio like the the um, looking at, at health as looking at patients' overall general health uh, rather than just symptomatic management. Yeah. More holistic view of things. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And um, because invariably most of the people, when certainly working in a chronic pain space or chronic disease, um, mm. cancer, place, most of the people I see are terribly deconditioned and either that's been one of the driving forces behind why they're so unwell in the first place Mm. or it's been a you know a sequelae of of their condition Um, yeah so and i think we do people an enormous disservice if we if we don't you know if we don't think about how we can improve their their overall health yes yeah yeah so how did you go from there or where are you now with Western Integrated Health and what you do there specifically now? Sure. Um, particularly, I'm particularly interested with the the physio playing a role, particularly in like cancer treatment and yeah. stuff like that. So I operate from two places. I've set up in 2016. I set up my own clinic in. Subiaco, which is Western Integrated Health, and um, with the uh, you know ninety percent of the the clinic's gym space and with three small treatment rooms, and with so just to allow me to really focus on um, being able to deliver targeted and safe exercise programs for people with complex health needs and. And so, yeah, the three main patient groups I'm seeing there are patients who are receiving treatment for cancer or recovering from cancer treatment um, and complex chronic pain patients with sort of um, either they've had um, injuries or they've got systemic inflammatory conditions, rheumatoid arthritis and fibromyalgia mm. and then chronic disease patients and with a lot of, see a lot of people with multiple metabolic conditions and heart mm. disease and um yeah heart disease um neurological conditions parkinson's yeah um, are they the third group yeah yeah and then i have a pile of patients for who mm. they tick all those boxes or they tick two out of the three boxes so they've got a yeah. mixture of chronic disease chronic pain and cancer treatment um yeah so, yeah i i really see i don't really see any routine sports injuries or hamstring strains they're all fairly um, complex so in your view what role does this play in people's recovery back to health yeah so i mean it's different across all those those conditions so um i mean if we 
if we take the chronic pain patient first, the um, really we need to empower patients to be able to manage their condition, like to self-manage their condition, because with any chronic condition, um, a big part of it for patients, I think, is a loss of control, like they lose control of their health, and it's a really scary place to be in, whether yeah. where you don't feel like you're in control of your health. If, you know, either someone's giving you a substance, some sort of external substance that you need in order to be able to function, whether it's, you know, muscle relax and a painkiller. Um, yeah. So people lose control, like their... Of their actual body. Yeah, and their self, their, and then their belief that they're, you know, like... So in their sort of, their self-efficacy, so yeah, their innate belief that they can handle various either psychological events or physiological events mm. or... Um, and so the the window in which those people operate becomes smaller and smaller and smaller because it's the nature of giving people hmm. benzodiazepines or opioid pain management and things like that is initially people have some severe event of severe pain and they have to take some painkiller to be able to manage it. And then, you know, then the threshold at which they need to take some sort of substance or have some sort of intervention to be able yeah. to cope becomes smaller and smaller. And so their life becomes... Dependent. Yeah, but it also becomes like the opera, the space in which they operate becomes into a bit of a vacuum where right. suddenly they're afraid to leave the house, they're afraid to lift their grandkids, they're afraid to yeah because they just don't know they just they lose they lose their sort of resilience to be able to cope with those things. So part of yeah what we do that would really play at someone's confidence. Yeah, yeah. and I mean it, and people you know there's a lot of anxiety then health related anxiety around that sort of stuff and a lot of anxieties around lack of control and people feel like they're not in control because they need to make sure that they can see their specialist and they've always got the script full because if they don't have that medication then they can't cope because they don't have their own internal um, mm. coping mechanism so part of what we do with the exercise apart from getting people trying to get people fit and healthy and um, is exposing them gradually to um, <clears throat> to things that they find um find scary and to so it's almost like a because um, people develop phobias basically they might have a phobia of bending forward because they've been told right. by a health professional they've taken their MRI and said you've got the back of an 80 year old Bryn and you're like well I'm 40 years old my back's going to crumble what do, I just need to oh, stop just, and stop yeah. and they just so they just freeze up and they stop doing anything so part of it and a lot of that's not based on evidence like they we know the best evidence for people is to keep them moving as much as possible yeah. so so we start exposing them to to doing things that they've avoided doing, but in a safe way. We make sure that they've got, you know, we get them strong, that they're physically able to do those things. Yeah. And then slowly in a controlled environment, we get them to, if we know, you know, if your goal is to, if you had a, you know, if had a lot of things we see is, say, someone around their grandchild, they might want to pick up their 18-month-old grandchild and the grandchild weighs 15 kilos, so we might start them off in the gym learning how to pick up a two kilo dumbbell and then a six kilo and then an eight kilo right. dumbbell and learning how to do it and they're like oh I actually can do that and then yeah. they start moving in a way that's safer and less provocative for their pain because they're not bracing and tensing and holding their yeah, breath yeah, and yeah. wincing and, um, and so then we get people to be able to reproduce those sort of movements in first in a safe environment in the clinic but then at home and so at the end of the day we need people to be able to self-manage their condition at home so the end goal is for people to be able to go out whether they need to join a gym in the community for a lot of people we can set them up with some 
exercises and movements and they can do at home and then yeah. both to improve their function but also to manage their symptoms so they go oh my back's twinged I know what I can do I can lie down I can do some tail tucks some knee rolls and on my own I can actually I can get rid of that symptom I can reduce yeah. it and then they grow in confidence and yeah, they, um, and they can re-engage in life again negative snowball in suddenly becomes negative snowball yeah it's, it's sort of snowballs in the other way they start going oh I actually can do that and then they do a little bit more and they go I can do that yeah. and so suddenly the whole world expands again where they can Go, I can, you know, I can go to family dinners. I yeah. can sit down in a restaurant without my back hurting for, you know, two hours. Maybe I can hop in the plane and, you know, go on that go European trip that I've wanted to. Because if I do have a flare up of my back pain over there, I've got my set of tools. I know what to do. I can yeah. pop a heat pack on. I can do my stretches. I can go yeah. for a walk. I can hop on a bike. And so for that sort of people, it's kind of about, you know, and that's part of health is having, having a meaningful quality of life it's not yeah. not just the absence of disease it's kind of being <laughs> and that's the thing that springs to mind that absence of disease because it strikes me i mean i watched my father uh in although he's over in england but um just talking and when he came over and i was over there uh he had a kidney removed for suspected cancer and found it and then he had uh had rounds of chemotherapy now my dad's a big dude right mm. uh, he's a big thick set guy he would have been in his early mid 60s when he did it but he's just got like 60 years of strength and being on the planet contained within him sure he's not as strong as he was when he was in his 30s and 40s but he's just residually strong guy and then all of a sudden it just went yeah and he still looks like the same guy but he wasn't you know he wasn't he couldn't quite do the DIY stuff he wanted to and this, that and the other. And then there were several times when he was having a go at it because his mind was still at it and he'd fall and trip and gash himself. And then that led him... And, and you know, as my mother pointed out, he, he, he lost a bit of self-confidence in there because, he's, you know, he was dad and he had this strength and that was mm. part of who he was. And then, yeah, it took going back to the gym and bit by bit by bit. I mean, I don't know if he's got it to the same level. Only he knows that. Yeah. But, um, you know, walking, cycling, going to the gym, playing golf, important things yeah, to him. And it's a really common story, a really common picture from, and particularly with the oncology patients. Because yeah. it's one of the things I'm really focusing and promoting at the moment because I've um, got a, um, just set up a clinic and a small gym and a new haematology and oncology cancer hospital in West Perth hmm. and um, where I go for my hemochromatosis yeah. nowadays yeah so it's um, it's yeah with the team there they're called Western Haematology and Oncology yeah. Clinics and Ross Baker his haematologist heads up that clinic yeah. there um, and so what we're looking at because we know when when people get treated for cancer um there's a whole, there's a pile of really common side effects. Well, in fact, everyone who gets treated with chemotherapy and, you know, in six months of chemotherapy, we know they're going to lose 15% of their lean muscle mass. Yeah. They're going to lose, you know, they develop these peripheral neuropathies where the nerves in their hands and feet get affected and so they can't feel where their feet are. They start falling over. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, they often <laughs> get... my dad. Yeah, <laughs> so they, and they start getting, often they get anemic and they get short of breath and... Mm. and so 
And there's this whole pile of physical deconditioning that we know is going to happen. Just know that happens. We know. Like, and, you know, with the haematology patients who are with multiple myeloma and some of these blood cancers, they're on chemotherapy regimes now that I've got patients that have been for over two years of continuous chemo um, wow. to manage these blood cancers. So there's this whole raft of side effects that happens to them. And what happens um, most commonly is patients get referred to me um, as part of an oncology program. Mm. When they've lost, you know, they've lost 20 or 30 kilos, they can hardly walk. They're falling over. They're about to cease treatment because they've become too unwell and they've lost yeah. too much. And then they refer the them for a, <laughs> for a strength program and say, can you try and put some muscle mass back in this person so they're robust enough to maintain you know, to, to re-engage in treatment again. And so, I mean, the idea with this gym in the, in the hospital in West Perth is that um, exercise will be embedded into, you know, part of their cancer treatment from the very start. So you don't get to that point. Yeah, um, because Rob Newton and his team at ECU have been doing some really groundbreaking research in that area, and they do DEXA studies on patients who... Um, so it's a scan where that basically takes your total body composition bone density muscle you know how many grams of muscle you've got in each limb it's a really specific scan and it's the gold standard for body composition and they have control groups and and intervention groups where the control group doesn't engage in an exercise program and they start their normal chemotherapy program for either prostate or breast cancer and the the, um, intervention group it's been doing a structured exercise program um, through the ECU gym. And the people who engage in the exercise program from the start of treatment maintain their muscle mass so they don't lose any. Mm. Or they lose, and some patients put on muscle mass um, yeah. whilst going through treatment, whereas the, the, um, the intervention group lose muscle mass. They lose bone density. Yeah. So a lot of times people come out, men and women become really osteoporotic. As yep. well, and exactly so they're right at then. yeah, so they're increased falls risk because they can't feel their feet, the bone density's shot. So that's just mm. there's a, um, and we know that exercise mitigates almost all those yeah. side effects from the neuropathies to the well, what to else? the bone density into the what else would <laughs> yeah, and so so yeah, so we're just trying to um, I guess embed that early into treatment before patients get really unwell and 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 apart from mitigating the side effects the um you know the trials are showing an improved five-year survival outcomes between 30 and 40 percent for um you know for prostate cancer and breast cancer um which is like it's pretty amazing i mean that's um that's sort of um equivalent to a lot of the interventions the medical interventions that people having the improvement in survival rates with with some of the chemotherapies patients are having is, you know, around, you know, 40%, 40 or 50%. So you're talking about a standalone intervention, medical intervention that's improving, you know, survival outcomes in cancer patients. Yeah. So Is it speeding up recovery or...? Um, well, I mean, from treatment, do you mean? Yeah. So definitely speeds up. To get to the up. point of, you know, not needing chemotherapy and moving on. Oh, I mean, is it, it's not so much. Um, it's it's certainly it's certainly not an alternative to chemotherapy. 
No, I was but, about to say. Um, you, certainly, you know, you've got a nasty cancer, you better before I go and crack some sessions in the gym. No. Certainly not. But interestingly, I mean, cancer, has, I mean, exercise has shown to have um, an effect on cancer cells on its own. So they've done studies um, in 2013 and 2016 where they've got... 10 healthy men on um, and they took blood from them before they hopped in an exercise bike and blood once they hopped off the exercise bike and they extract the serum from the blood and then they marinate different types of cancer cells in the serum over 96 hours um, before they inject them into mice genetically identical mice and so and they show that the like the pancreatic not pancreatic post prostate cancer cells sitting in um, the post-exercise serum shrunk by about 31% over 96 hours compared to the cells that were in mm. the pre-exercise serum. Right. And so the chemical change in blood oh, as a result right. of a acute bout of exercise yeah. actually has an effect on shrinking, inhibiting yeah. the growth of cancer cells. So and they analyze the serum, like the blood serum, and they show that exercise activates these you know, like our own immune cells, they've got these cells that are produced by our muscles, there's these cytokines called interleukin-6 that help target cancer cells and then the body releases these natural killer cells that actually yeah. infiltrate and destroy cancer cells on their own. And yeah, without the need for anything externally. Yeah, so they've, um, and so they've duplicated those studies with um, melanoma and um, lung cancer and, like five different strands, like strains of like established lines of human cancer cells. So yeah. there's chemicals that are produced by your body when you're exercising that have that provoked by exercise. That yeah, released purely by exercise that attack cancer cells, yeah. and which explains why we know that people that are physically active, uh, you know, got a forty percent less reduced likelihood of developing cancer in the first place. In any shape. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, but now we're actually nutting out what, what's happening in the body biologically, physiologically, chemically that, that has a, a, um, cancer fighting effect. So the, um, so it appears that, you know, the exercise on its own is helping the body fight cancer as well as, Mm. um, but certainly being able to adhere to your medical regime as well. So if the oncologist sits down and then you go the ideal dose of chemotherapy radiotherapy immunotherapy is you know whatever it is is a certain regime and that's going to give you the best chances of um survival but um we know if people exercise throughout treatment they're more likely to be able to adhere to their routine and they're not going to have to often otherwise the oncologists have to reduce the dose of chemo they have to cease chemo for a while while people's you know, yeah. the red blood cell count gets back on board or their muscle mass gets back on board, they're losing too much weight or they're getting too nauseous and fatigued. Like you said earlier on, when you get people who are right at the bottom. Yeah. Can you do something with them? Yeah. It's yeah. It's take a while as opposed to... And so being able to adhere to your, um, to your medication regime yeah. also improves your survival outcomes. And they've done some studies um, looking at... Because part of the exercise we're doing now is exercising immediately before people have chemotherapy or radiotherapy. Yeah, given what you were saying before. Yeah, but, but I mean, the other part of that is that it actually helps the... Um, because 
a lot of solid tumors have got really poor blood supply. So exercising, we know that exercise increases blood flow to the tumors. And so you get better drug delivery of the chemotherapy or radiotherapy mm. to the tumors themselves. Right. And, and the oxygen, they think there's something about, you know, the oxygenation of the tumor cells increases uptake as well of, of, so you get better drug delivery, you get better uptake of the drug into the tumor cells. And so the actual... Does it sit here listen to it or just make sense? Yeah. So the actual, like the body responds um, better, like you get a better response to the yeah. treatment if you've exercised immediately before or immediately after you have the treatment administered. So when we say exercise, there's cardio, weights mobility stuff yeah so um and it depends a little bit on the on the nature of the um cancer as well yeah. that they're treating um but certainly the exercise immediately before chemotherapy i think for um is a combination of aerobic exercise and potentially if it's a tumor where we can target blood flow to that site whether you know if it's breast cancer we can get people doing exercises that target blood flow to breast tissue. Um, get them on the pack day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I certainly think the cardio exercise, aerobic exercise is, is, is an important part of that. Yeah. That protocol. Just the overall blood flow around the bit. Yeah. But in terms of the exercise in between, um, in between, chemo or radiotherapy i think strength training is really important targeted strength training and balance training um, mm. because because losing muscle mass is such a well documented side effect of all those treatments and mm. such a debilitating effect on function um and then yeah the exercise gets targeted as well depending on um like for prostate cancer and breast cancer the people also had androgen deprivation therapy where they block testosterone or block estrogen mm. because they um, they prepare, you know they accelerate the growth of breast cancer or prostate cancer cells. But part of blocking testosterone in a male is they lose all their muscle mass, um, they lose bone density, and mm. they have a deterioration in mood and all those and a whole other raft of side effects. And likewise with estrogen has a similar effect on, on women. And again, we can mitigate a lot of those effects. We can do targeted exercise for bone density. Mm. Um, and um, and the studies show that we can really offset that loss so of bone density. deadlifts and stuff. <laughs> no, it's more, more high impact. I mean, yeah. you know, the studies with um, prostate cancer men, they're setting up little hurdles and getting them jumping over the, you know, they've got these 70, 80 year old guys jumping over little hurdles to get the high impact yes. loading through the bones. That's really what stimulates right, yeah. bone density. Um, so we get people doing sort of aggressive foot, foot stomping exercises and yeah. I was going to say, are, are the exercises similar to the ones we'd see if I just went into a regular gym or are they really quite specific? I mean, I don't think I'd see many people aggressively foot stomping, but no, they're pretty specific. Um, cause a lot of people with, you know, if we're still talking about cancer, a lot of people have had, they've either got considerations where they've got mets, uh, bony mets in, you know, so they've had cancer in different parts of their spine or their hip. And so mm. you've got to consider, or they've had surgery, um, you know, with 
um, breast cancer that have had surgery where they've taken muscle grass out of their their lats or you know they may mm. flat to use for reconstructive reconstructive surgery and um yeah so there's there's a lot of and often patients are really frail and mm. um and you have to you have to be really careful like i'm monitoring people's um heart rate their oxygen saturation their blood pressure while they're um you know i've got a um, they're you know they're high risk patient group and mm. need to be managed carefully. Um, to start off with, they've mm. always got you know I've got a defibrillator nearby, <laughs> yeah, trained and ready. So we take you know it's something that needs to be I think certainly in the early stages it needs to be quite specific and I'll take an hour to assess people initially mm. and and work out what's appropriate for them. And once I've got an idea in my head of what I think their starting point could be, I normally start them at 50% less than that point because um, you can always increase what they're doing, but if yeah. you start them too hard... You'll smash them. Yeah, well, I mean, you can either injure them or you can make them really fatigued. Um, and, help, and either way, it's a sort of you disincentivize them to continue because they just find it too hard. And you've dealing with a bunch of people that are going through a horrendous time, like hearing, you know, getting the diagnosis that mm. you've got cancer. And often your life's taken over by medical appointments and um, and it's a pretty overwhelming time. So you want to mm. use exercise in a way that's supportive and, and, um, and nurturing for people. And, and it's, again, empowering them to at least have a facet of their life where they can take charge of again. And yeah. And when you explain to people, you know, what some of the, what the research shows, the people feel quite motivated because they feel like, again, it's, it's something that they, they can take charge of again do, yeah. and they can do something that's going to improve mm. their survival outcomes. And also, I mean, I get a lot of people for whom, you know, with stage four cancer, with, you know, terminal cancer, and they might only have six months to, to live or three months to live and, but then the focus is on trying to improve their quality of life during that time as part of a palliative care um, mm. regime as well. And, you know, I had a, you know, gentleman recently with a young, young man with young kids and he, um, with, you know, I think he probably lived for four months once he started with me. But in that time, he he still got a lot of benefit in the exercise which he um, hmm. yeah which he, he you know relayed back think, to me what sort of benefits would he get um, just being able to engage with his kids and stuff like that like he to be able to lift up his kids and, and kind of be able to you know go down to ice kick with them a few more times you know for another five times and stuff like that which which is pretty important when you yeah yeah um so yeah, so that's that's sort of the I guess the you know, you're not looking at survival outcomes then, but you're very much looking at the health related yeah. um, you know, the quality of life related um stuff. Which is a big part of you know, what, what you're trying to do for people. It's kind of mm. not just about lifespan, it's about health span. Yeah. Um, you know what what because um, I guess none of us know how long we've yeah. we've got left either and it's about Helping people to maximise their mm. their quality. Is this yeah. is the role of exercise 
you know, as part of this treatment. Is it, is it a, a widespread diag- um, diagnosed thing or suggested thing, or is this quite on the edge that you're doing here at the moment? Um, look, I would, I'd say, I mean, again, Rob Newton would, um, um, is the man who's really been one of the world pioneers in, um, in pushing exercise in oncology as, you know, part of cancer care. And it's been, I mean, the research now is pretty overwhelmingly, you know, positive about it. Like it's, there's no doubt it plays an important part, but to go from research into practice takes the wheels turn quite slowly mm. and it potentially takes a generation of consultants to I mean, how to, to roll over before um, mm. before they start seeing the value in it. And so the Clinical Oncology Society of Australia, which is, you know, the peak body for oncologists, mm. issued a position statement saying that exercise needs to be embedded as a standard right. part of cancer care and that... Um, Best, best practice cancer care, I think I'm quoting fairly accurately now, needs to involve a referral to either an accredited exercise physiologist or a physio with experience in cancer care. Yeah. So their governing body has said, look, their evidence has accepted that the evidence is overwhelmingly in favour of exercise. Yeah. You know, being... Um, but there's some probably practical and financial implications into embedding it into into mm. practice because the um, the you know the the treatment centers don't make don't make any money from prescribing exercise or referring people to allied healthcare I mean they you know they've got mm. huge overheads and they get their money either from you know really expensive drug treatments um, you know and some of the medications are you know, for immunotherapy, it can be ten or fifteen thousand dollars a dose, and mm. um, so you t- you're talking about really. Um, so, from embedding it into a business model can be challenging yeah. for them because they don't like it. trying to f- allocate funds for it. Um, can be can be challenging because it just doesn't generate um, revenue, and I think the oncologists are super busy. Mm. And so their treatment times are really narrow and they're, um, they're doing the best they can to keep their patients alive. Um, yeah. And they've got a lot of... Within the focus. Within the focus of... of what they know. Yeah. And so, look, I, um, I think it's growing and I think, you know, um, Ross Baker and, and the team at Western Haematology and Oncology they built this hospital with the space. Mm. For, Did they reach out to my you? gym? Yeah, um, and they reached out to me from the inception of that place to um, to embed exercise as part that's of cool, there. Yeah, so um, so that's really good, really exciting, and um, you know they're um, they're a lead of their team of sort of world world class researchers. They're doing a lot of clinical trials there, um, mm. and I think you know. Ross Baker has been the principal investigator in over a hundred clinical trials, and um, so it's really exciting. And they're interested in 
you know, starting to get some really objective data, taking blood blood mm. tests and, and objective scans from from patients, um, pre-intervention, pre-exercise intervention and post-exercise intervention. And I mean, I think, you know, they've got a patient group who particularly benefit from it because they're on treatment for so long compared to solid mass tumors yeah. where people might have six months of chemotherapy. You're yeah. talking about people that really have got no end in sight for, uh, you know, they're two or three years into yeah. solid um, solid chemotherapy and steroid, steroid routines. So, um, yeah, I think it is growing and the amount of referrals I'm getting for it is definitely increasing. Um, mm. I'm across the road from the Bendat Cancer Care Centre and um, some of their oncologists there and are starting to refer a lot more to me. Um, yeah. It's a long way from, um, oh, I'll get into physio so I can work with sports stars yeah. to actually <laughs> a real f- fine percentage of, 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 of the population that have a particular requirement have you ever reflected on that yeah I I do and I um, this must be a really meaningful and gives you a lot from doing it yeah it's been look at it's been um, and it hasn't really been <laughs> it certainly wasn't the way I planned it it's um, it's very much happened organically my, um, you know, the, the chronic pain work was a bit of an aside to, to the job at West Coast and then became my passion. The oncology um, work really grew organically out of the fact that I had a lot of middle-aged to elderly patients who got diagnosed with cancer while I was working with them in the gym already for chronic pain issues. So... It developed an interest in how to start a researching how to manage their conditions as they came through and I think my first you know I remember my first patient who had um, the Whipple's procedure for pancreatic cancer and so I started researching you know the evidence around you know or best management from an exercise point of view for that particular patient mm-hmm. and it's just um, it just grew into yeah um, it's just organically grown as a as a passion for myself, and then when I set up Western Integrated Health, and I'm sort of nestled between Genesis Cancer Care Hospital and and the Bendat Cancer Care Centre, and um, I, you know I already had that strong interest in in oncology, and and um, and I was seeing a lot of people walk past with with their bandanas on the way to treatment, and so mm. I just started. I guess trying to focus on helping those people engage in in exercise as part of their treatment, and then it's just um, grown grown ahead of steam from mm. from there. But it's quite similar, um, very similar principles to managing a chronic pain or a chronic fatigue or a fibromyalgia patient or people with rheumatoid arthritis dealing with cancer patients because it's all about slowly building up strength mm. and aerobic fitness and and teaching patients how to pace themselves because mm. they, um, they've generally only got a certain amount of energy chips they can cash over a day. And yes. so you've got to teach them how to manage that. Yeah. And cash <laughs> yeah. them in a way that's going to help them, you know, um, generate more energy yeah. chips and yeah. to do it and being cognizant, I guess, of 
the fact that they might still be holding down a job or they've got to be able to go home and cook dinner for their family or whatever it is. So, yeah, it's there's been a lot of overlap from from the different um, treatments. Probably the biggest, um, steepest learning curve was going from a you know strength and conditioning role at football clubs to exercising chronic pain patients and mm. having to... Um, rein in my my enthusiasm for um for prescribing exercise quite a bit to avoid flaring patients up um but yeah it's been it's been it's been an interesting journey Mm. you must have had some uh great stories and great results for sure um you know with individual cases yeah and it's um and yeah i mean it's 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 fantastic to see I guess just to see people engage back in life again, mm. whether it's being able to get someone back to work again or to be able to do some sort of other meaningful activity that, that um, you know, to something that's really meaningful to them. And and with that sort of approach, because we off, you know, at the start of treatment, we sit down with people and identify their goals. Mm. Like, what do you want to get out of coming to see me? Um, and what is it that you're not able to do at the moment because of your condition? And so we get a little bit of a list, and the um, and then I guess as part of treatment, then we tend to focus more on how you're going with achieving your goals. And we might have to break down if the goal again was picking up your grandkid, we might have to break that down into segmental parts. So it might be you know doing a quarter quarter squat down and standing up again and and doing that for a few weeks and breaking it down into little segments until you're going to your goal which is actually picking the grandkid up and throwing them over your head or whatever you're doing but because when um patients have had pain for a while they become very focused on on their pain and they Hmm. they're always going and physios and trying not to trigger specialists will will reinforce that um, yeah. because I say, does it hurt when you do that? Can you give me a score out of 10? And if zero's been yeah. no pain at all and 10's been run over by a train, how much yeah. does it hurt when you bend forward or when you bend your knee or when you do that? And we get people doing an exercise saying, oh, does it hurt when you do that? Does it hurt when you do that? And the patients are rubbing it and they're feeling it and saying, yeah, I think it hurts. I, I know. And and when you look at the research around that, you, they take scan functional MRIs of people's brains and it shows how your brain lights up in response to different stimulus. Yeah. So I'll show you, for instance, for someone who's with back pain that the part in their sensory cortex of their brain that's mm. normally is a very small part of our brain's resources allocated to feedback from our back, like all our resources are allocated to our fingers or our tongue or our sensory organs. When you look at someone with chronic pain and they do a scan in their brain, there's this huge amount of resources allocated to that part of their body. So they're paying attention to it all the time. They're getting a lot more feedback from it. So then for every little stimulus that comes there, whether it's a painful stimulus, um, they get this really over-exaggerated response in their brain. So if we can get people to focus on some sort of outcome that means something to them rather than on the pain. So I try not to ask people about their pain, like I just say. Yeah. How are you going with your, you know, your squats? How did you go with, you know, you're walking your 500 metres up and down the footpath every day and you're whatever it is. And so when people start... Things that they can do. Yeah, they sort of stop being so myopic on 
their what's going on in their back and they start yeah. thinking about oh yeah I'm back, back I'm going to do school pick up today I'm going to pick the grandkids up from school I'm going to take them home they become a bit more outwardly focused mm. and then suddenly a few months later you say oh by the way how's your back going they go oh actually no, I haven't felt it for a while and yeah. and so it, it's actually um, you know and there's and there's pretty good research that that approach is oh yeah a lot better for people to you know to to focus on function so you become more it's as simple as that don't think of a pink elephant yeah you've got to think about the pink elephant you know how's the pain yeah are you thinking about pain because I often get someone coming in and say I've got really sore through my shoulder here it just really hurts when when I do this I say when else does it hurt and they say oh no it just hurts when I do this I say well stop doing that because <laughs> <laughs> They, um, because people just become really focused. Yeah, and they just always, play with it. And they spend all the time in. You can see that, and probably people that inherently have an underlying predisposition to being anxious and, mm. you know, being in that fight, flight, or fright state where you're scanning, mm. you know, and with fight, flight, or fright, you can be scanning the environment looking for danger. But for people with pain, they start scanning their bodies looking for danger. Yeah. And so they're constantly. Similar sort of thing. Yeah. Just internally. Just internally. And so, um, which I guess is also part of um, an important part of treatment too is then teaching people how to downregulate to come out of that fight, flight or fright. So mindfulness and meditation yeah. is an important part of what I do um, as well as exercise. With, Get them to sit still and just... Yeah, to sit still and to be able to sit with sit with uncomfortable feelings and just learning how to downregulate their nervous system through breathing and mm. um yeah it's 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 a pretty and it's just picking which patient needs needs you know which um which proportion of which sorts of treatments you're going to allocate for any given patient some people might be really high on anxiety scores and we screen them when they come in with a few questionnaires yeah and so then the treatment becomes spend a lot of time talking about downregulation and mindfulness and meditation and I often get people to use different apps where they can go out and do yeah. daily programs and we can get a measurement like it gives them it records each time they do it so I can mm. see what they're up to see what they're up to and um, or some people really don't rate that highly and you can tell straight away that they're not that fearful or they're not catastrophizing and so they'll be going mm. much more down and exercise but get straight into yeah it's um it's a they're a fairly complex group to work with and yeah yeah because there's so many so much other things going on which is triggering them yeah so um which I guess why physio as part of the exercise based approach they now call our model you know it's biopsycho social model of physio where we're trying to address if we need to people's biology and their structures but we're also trying to look at their their thought and pats their beliefs their psycho their psychological yeah. profile as well as looking at their social it's going to ask the context. role between the role between that and the actual physicality of what you're doing because i can see how just by the doing of the exercise would start to build that belief but then i can imagine it would go even quicker if there was a belief there in the first place for sure i mean i think yeah chronic pain is a lot more about psychology and beliefs than it is about physical structures 
these mm. days because we know the the correlation between um, damaged tissue and pain is very is very low. Like um, we look at the, the correlation you know, the, between damaged tissue and pain is very low. Yeah, so we know that like a MRI MRI results are poorly predictive of pain. There's only like a twenty percent correlation between MRI findings and patient symptoms. Right. So we know by the time people are forty five years old, if you get healthy people with no history of back pain and take an MRI at the back, you know, ninety percent of them who've got bulging discs and degenerative joint disease and mm. they've never had any history of back pain. Um and mm. so basically, I mean, by the time we've got wrinkles on our face, we've got wrinkles in their collagen fibres throughout our body. So the yeah. um And then you get told this. Yeah, and then people, you know, they go in and they sprain their back and so someone orders a MRI from them and it comes up with these, you know, and that's the classic thing you get told, you've got the back of an 80-year-old because it oh, shows you've got some wear and tear, you know, L4, 5, L5, S1 and like everyone's got wear and tear, L4, L5 and it probably was there way before they yeah. had this episode of back pain. But then people, it, it becomes to that fear thing. So then people believe that underlying structures are damaged and they yeah. need to protect them. And so a lot of it, when people come in, is trying to unring that bell and yeah. instill some confidence in people to say, your structures are fine and your back looks better than mine does in an MRI. And, you know, people, um, this isn't predictive of disability for you and it may not be mm. the cause, like, from everything I'm seeing from my physical examination is your pain's coming from L5-S1 and your scan says you've got some degeneration L2-3. So it's probably unrelated and it's yeah. just an incidental finding. And so we just need to get you to relax and move and re-engage in life and then generally people get better. So a lot of it is because with that pain and with the fear becomes a whole pile of maladaptive movements and people just start Tense moving up. in a way that that perpetuates their their pain cycle so it becomes just a snowball of disability yeah. and there's a whole area of research dedicated to you know the the um pain and disability that are caused by the advice people get from health professionals it's called iatrogenic pain disorders which is right. the health professional induced yeah disability I, I, just listening to you the what a healthcare professional says at that key moment when you're about to deliver the result of a of a test or a scan or something like that when they're they're all ears they're super receptive yeah and then boom there it is yeah that can send them off on a whole trajectory for sure we say it all the time super careful about your words it's really common it's it can be so damaging you can either completely um, reassure and reduce someone's pain and disability or it can go the yeah. other way completely. Back of an 80-year-old is not a great sounding It happens problem. all the time. It happens all the time. And um, and it's really scary. And it's a really hard bell to unring. And particularly if it's come from a consultant or someone's trusted, you know, yeah, family yeah. GP. Um, because a lot of, particularly um, perhaps certain nationalities and people of a certain generation too, place, you know, there's a hierarchy of, of um, where they take their medical advice from and so they come and see a physio but they've already been told by their GP that you know their back's damaged and they need to protect mm. it and they need to avoid 
walking and um, bending and all these kind of things and it's really it's really hard and it is about gradually um, changing people's beliefs it's the most probably the most important thing we can yeah. do for our patient is change their change their beliefs and and particularly if they're because there's very 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 few musculoskeletal conditions um, where exercise isn't the most appropriate form of treatment yeah and, but people are all the time told by health professionals that they need to stop exercising yeah um, so yeah it's 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 pretty frustrating but, mm. um, and I think it's it's slowly changing and again I think it's a it's a generational thing I think um, you know doctors being trained now learning this stuff as part of their mm. um, so just be that norm at, you know as part of their training but I think unless people keep up to date with you know and in the defence to say the average GP it's hard to keep abreast of the research across all the different spheres of medicine mm. they need to do as well as musculoskeletal um, but the best thing they can do is probably refer them on to physios and sort of like and not scan them unless they absolutely need it mm. yeah in fact I, I, I myself have been told once before by uh, physio Cairo, um, I could send you for a scan, but I'm not going to because I'll just do your head in if you do. Yeah. So I've heard that story, or it's been that warning before. Yeah. We're not going to send you for a scan on your back. And it doesn't generally doesn't. I mean, people are often disappointed because yeah. they come in with a six hundred dollar MRI and have a little glance at it, but it doesn't really direct treatment a lot of the yeah. time, unless there's some, you know, there's some specific pathology in which. But there's a very clear criteria for MRIs, and most of the time when people get them, they don't meet that criteria. They're yeah. Just means that well, I've got non-specific lower back pain. Yeah. Let's try and find out what's going on by ordering an MRI, and then. Hmm. Sounds like a cottage industry. <laughs> yeah. So what is um, what have you learned about yourself through all of this? Um. I've, I mean, I learn a lot about myself. I guess through having to think about the advice I give my patients because I, um, you know, and I, I've learned how important my health is to myself and how structuring, um, structuring exercise and meditation and time to eat properly and time to spend with my kids into my working life is really important because I see a lot of people have let all of that go in order to oh, pursue yeah. their career and that's been the genesis of this you know the the deterioration in their health and um so i've i've kind of learned i guess more and more how much how much health kind of health means to me and how much i value my yeah. health because i see a lot of people that have mm. lost their health and um does it help you to define what health means for jeremy yeah for sure not just physically yeah it, it, it does it i mean i you know when i go out for a run most days and i'm jogging along the coast i'm always just thinking i'm so grateful to be able to do this stuff and to you know 45 years old to have a body that still works well and um and and because i see i guess seeing people that um have lost their health sometimes through poor lifestyle choices and sometimes mm. just through being dealt a bad card yeah. in terms of makes you realise that you never know as well what is around the corner 
for us. Um, and it makes me take time to um, mm. to spend with my kids while they're like I've got three little kids, they're two, five, and eight, and I um, you know three days a week I make sure I finish work on time to go and pick them up from school pick up, and I um, do school drop drop off another two days a week, and I don't work on weekends, and a lot of that stuff is because I see people who go I'm just gonna smash out work during this earning window of my life from you know 30 to 50 I'll pay off my mortgage I'll get my super and then I'll back it off and then I'll and I'll be alright and then I'll be alright and they either don't get to that point because something happens and so you know they've missed that opportunity or they hit 50 they've you know lost their health they've lost their ability their kids have grown up want nothing to do with them they're kind of missed yeah. So it really makes me live, stay in the present, and try mm. and um, enjoy everything I've got, like in my life right now, and to try and make the most of it because you just don't know. You know, you got to live each day like it's to an extent, like it's yeah, like it's your last. <laughs> your last yeah. yeah. So it really makes me value my health. And, yeah. Um, Particularly being around the clients that you have. Yeah. Um, and you know, I a few years ago, I. Um, I was, I was pretty unwell with an, auto, an autoimmune condition and it was just while I was setting up Western Integrated Health actually and just working massive hours and um, and got quite unwell. Like my lungs weren't working well at all. I had pneumonia and my heart function was down and seeing, you know. Um, and it was really probably at that point that I had to, um, I just found myself getting caught up in that in that rut of working 80, 90 hours a week and, you know, um, all about the business and, and, and my health got really bad. And so I had to just sort of take time to read, like to keep my life in balance and to figure out I can only function while I've got my health. If I don't have my health, I don't have anything else in my yeah. life. Like life's this pyramid that's so built on the platform the foundation of your, stones, of your health. Yeah. And if you don't have your health, you know, they say like, people that don't make time for their health are going to make time to be sick and and <laughs> I love that and it, you know and it really it almost cost me everything because I you know I got really unwell and I had to take a couple of months off work had a new business that had just started so I had no revenue coming in for a couple of months I had had a newborn baby and um, and you know doctors telling me my heart's working at 40% of my age predicted norm and trying to figure out what was going on and and um and on some of those treatments that my patients are on now on the steroid, you know, the prednisolone for um, all this kind of stuff. Right. And um, so I really had to go back to um, working out what I needed, almost seeing myself as a patient. I had to go and see a dietitian who sorted out, you know, my eating had got out of hand. I was, wasn't sleeping. I was kind of, wasn't exercising. And and so I had to use myself, like, sort of take a step back and... and um, but that kind of really, that really changed that episode and mm. it was probably close to four years ago now and that really changed the way I treated patients too because it really um, made me appreciate that in order for our bodies to function we need to have periods of going to rest, digest and repair. We can't be in fight, flight or fright all the time. Yeah, can't be on. 
we need to really focus on what we're eating, like what we take into our bodies. If we're not taking the right nutrients into our bodies, mm. then our bodies aren't going to function very well. That I need to be doing a certain amount of movement. I need to be sleeping a certain amount of hours every night. Otherwise, you know, you can keep going for a certain amount of months. And I kept going like that probably for 12 or 18 months, but then I just hit the wall. And that's why that's what I see with my patients. So it, it really um, kind of losing my health for a while and then seeing how when I took stock of that sort of stuff and really learnt a lot about diet and about meditation and mm. about um, and about down regulation and pacing and um, it um, you know I feel healthier at 45 than I've felt I think since I was 25 mm. I, um, I really feel much you know I feel so much better and I but I think with health, it can be this slow rot of losing your health. Oh, 100%. It's, and, you know, it tends to happen in a, we finish uni, stop playing sport. Yeah. Um, All the structures that we took through as Yeah, start getting a bit more senior in work. Um, mm. Maybe get married, have kids, or make all these little compromises. Get a mortgage, and we just start slowly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I can't play footy anymore because I need to stay at work, and, you know, I'm trying to become partner in the firm or whatever it is and just it's this slow rot until suddenly something like shit I'm 45 years old you know my BMI is 32 <laughs> I can't walk upstairs without puffing or you know like you see this huge prevalence of autoimmune conditions and whatever it is and so um, so yeah so I guess that's that's really um, I think where my passion for health on top of, you know, not just function, but health has mm. become a, a kind of passion of mine. And I've got a huge network of um, people around me now where I can, and that's where this Western Integrated Health came from. It's about integrating health and I refer a lot of my patients. I've got a huge network of clinical psychs who specialise in either chronic pain or cancer mm. care or sports psychs um, and dietitians either that, you know, really good at metabolic conditions. Um, a lady next to me, oh, there's a dietitian I work with who just treats cancer patients. Yeah. So it's kind of... Yeah. Yeah, and that's... that's um, Yeah, so that's, I think, that's really where, where the health, the passion for health mm. came from, kind of losing my own health and then... Um, building it back up. Yeah, building it back up and trying to um, use... Uh, what I learned from that experience to to help my patients too. Yeah. Yeah. What does the next uh, three to five years look like for you? Oh, it's a, it's a good question. I think um, I... Look, for me, part of it is about um, maturing as a business too, like how to... how to... Um, how to really build a business culture with a strong focus on patient-centered care, like to really um, keep a small, small family feel type of, um, Mm. you know, clinic, like to maintain that as the business expands because it's, um, the business is growing pretty quickly and you want to maintain, like maintaining that, yeah, that, that rule, um, that culture that, um, so that's, you know, that's, that's going to be an interesting challenge. I think, for me, because I, um, you know, like my patients, I know they, I know they, 
their husbands or their wives are. I know their kids come in to see me. I've kind of got that real, it's like a real family feel. They bring me in presents on my kids' birthdays and yeah, that kind of stuff. So as a business is growing probably quicker than I'd anticipated trying to um, maintain that and also to maintain my spare time to spend with my family and yeah. maintaining my own health and so yeah it's a it's a mm. it's a challenge that I wax and wane in and out of yeah. every week. <laughs> you get that call from a doctor saying, Can you squeeze someone in at the end of the day? And it's like And particularly yeah. given you know, we're not talking about somebody turning up with a sprained ankle or knee. You know, we're talking about can you see somebody and it could be life changing, life altering. Yeah. So that's um <laughs> and kind of letting go of the brains too. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. Trusting other physios with my patients because yes it's um i've got a you know it's not an average um it's quite a different treatment approach like i Mm. can't remember the last time i did manual therapy in a patient Mm. um it's been a long time and um and people don't come out of physio school with that expectation they they come out with the expectation that what they'll do primarily will be some manual therapy and cracks and joints and um, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So finding things, people. Yeah. So finding the right staff and that, and then being able to um, let go of the reins a little bit and trust that they'll do it. That they'll they'll care for my patients the, the way same you, way yeah. that I would. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. So that's that's kind of my challenge over the next three to five years. But yeah. look, life. Um, I've got to say, loss. If nothing changes from the way it is right now then in over the next five years I'll, I'll still be a pretty happy man Bryn. excellent excellent so one of the last questions I asked my guest is um, if you could take a little nugget of information and based on everything we're talking about and just load it up into the collective consciousness so everyone just gets it yeah what would that be um, I guess I mean but for me I think the the take home point from certainly my treatment philosophy for people would be that there's very few um, people for whom they can't improve their health regardless of their diet, yeah. regardless of their diagnosis, and regardless of what they may have been told, is yeah. that people can improve their health and their quality of life and yeah. their. That's re- a really good point. Yeah, so I think people just give up or they. Yeah they don't maybe they just haven't been told or they just accept that this is their lot in life and that they're that they have to accept being disabled and not being able to do things and and it's so I mean people's condition can put a may put a cap on how far they but most people can definitely improve their quality of life and improve their health even in the presence Mm. of some pretty horrendous conditions Hmm. Yeah, and so I suppose if you take that outside of the sphere of what you focus on, yeah, there's a whole lot of people who really don't have any excuses. <laughs> yeah, and also it just you know if they're not doing it for themselves, like the ripple on effect when someone gets gets healthy and engaged in life again, the way it just ripples through their yeah family because having a community, everything. Yeah, the way the opposite. You know, we talk I think a few yeah. times about the snowball the way these things snowball and when there's an unwell person in in the family, the way that 
yeah. has a huge effect on the family and the way when someone starts getting better the way that affects mm. you know and the way their kids you know might be a parent the way the kids see dad's dad's overcome this yeah condition like dad's got cancer but he's still going down to the gym three times a week he's exercising and you know they're always going to remember that and kids yeah they mirror their parents behavior more than what they see so we just we just have a um we just have you know like a i think um there's a lot of people that probably frustratingly from my point of view have an opportunity to lead it much better quality of life that don't yeah <laughs> yeah or choose not to choose not to or just perhaps don't know that that they can yeah hmm Jeremy it's been absolutely fascinating listening to you today yeah thanks Bryn it's been uh, it's been um, my pleasure often you know particularly cancer is something that you know We've all had, we pretty much all know somebody or had somebody who's been touched by it. Yeah. And I think most of us have got an idea of, oh, I mean, is it going to go and have chemo? Are they going to sit there and have stuff in? And they're going to be in a state and lose hair and look grey and all of that sort of stuff. But yeah. to actually, one of the reasons why I was really keen to talk to you is because it's actually something you can go and do about it. Yeah. And then you, you know, you, you're dealing with the, must you deal with the re, the real end of it all? Mm. Um, not mean the real end of life, but the real end, as in people are probably being very real about this is where I'm at, this is where I need to go, mm. and to actually go and and go and make a big impact in that area, and then to listen to what you said right at the end there, which is it doesn't matter what state you're in, there's always something you can do. Yeah, and a big theme of the podcasts, and the big theme of what I'm about and what WA Real about is is there's always shit you can be taking responsibility for yeah and as soon as you take that responsibility then it's yours to control and play with yeah and so you can go and do something yeah and that has all these amazing snowball effects until you know listening to you almost test that theory right at a really pointy end of or part of life yeah and it still seems to deliver the goods there Sure. I mean, Bryn, you'd be amazed. I'd take a, you know, I'd take a falls and balance, like an exercise circuit group in a, in a um, lifestyle village down at St. Ives in yeah. Jollymont. And the average age in that group is probably 85 or 86. And I've got this circuit, you know, we've got a gym there that I'm set up with, through Lottery West. And the, um, seeing what the people in that group do, and often their kids, and their grandkids are horrified that, you know, Nana's doing one minute bur- high intensity bursts on these steppers and stamping your feet <laughs> and stamping on wobble boards and doing push-ups on the, you know, against a bench and, and things like that. And, you know, and you see the change in function that's been going for a couple of years in that group of people and you realise, and there's people that have had strokes, they've you know, people yeah. Alzheimer's and had just about every joint replaced, job, and yeah. and yeah, it really shows you that um, when people make a decision to improve their health or to do something positive yeah, for their it's health, responsibility, bring it in, and particularly for you know in that age group, people kind of write them off and they say, "You stay there, Nana. I'll get you a cup of tea." You, stay. you know, and they yeah. almost kill them with kindness because they just yeah yeah, um, yeah wrap them up cotton wool and watch them die. Like eighteen <laughs> months later, and suddenly they. <laughs> You know they're doing this pretty high, high level circuit. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's 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 almost comical when you sit back and it is. watch it sometimes, but really, um, yeah, it shows that back to that point. I think everyone everyone can improve mm. their health. Mm. That and the whole slow rot that you don't see. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There we go. So, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Yep. So, I mean, the best way to reach out to me is probably through my um, website, which is wihealth.com.au, or they can um, they can certainly give give the office a call as well. Um, but certainly happy for people to reach out through the website they can do an inquiry and i'm happy i often give people a call on the way back from from work just to chat to them about what i do and they can yeah so they really get a bit of a brief phone consult before they decide whether or not they want to want to book in to see me yeah yeah superb again jeremy thanks so much for your time thanks Bryn. pleasure excellent thanks